Coast to Coast Live coming at you Sunday evening here, 8 o'clock on the East Coast. I have Joey Powell with me as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, here to talk a little Tar Heels basketball recruiting and who knows what else we might get into tonight. Fellas, big weekend for, for UNC. I, I know that the the score might not have been what folks may have expected, but uh, Tar Heels got out of the Smith Center with uh, a win 79-70 to over NC State uh, in, in a game that you know could have gone a couple of different ways, I believe. Um, but North Carolina does win. I want to give a special shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring the show, to Congruity for sponsoring the show, and to everybody who's already in the, the live chat. And if you're watching us later on, just make sure you uh, subscribe, rate, and review us. We appreciate it. Guys, let's talk about the uh, the game at the Smith Center on Saturday. Tar Heels 79, NC State 70. I'll do some quick uh, quick stat highlights. And then I want to get into kind of a, a little more holistic analysis of what this game might mean as, as far as the rest of the season or, or any trends that we've seen from the squad. Um, immediately, first thing that jumps out at me is the Tar Heels had eight players to score, uh, nine guys log minutes. Cormac Ryan did foul out, but I think he did a, a great job uh, defending DJ Horn in the second half. Outside of, uh, you know, you, you thought that that DJ Horn was probably going to be the the problem for North Carolina, and you go and look, and, and they also gave up 22 to Jaden Taylor, who's their first guy off the bench. And that's not something that we've seen this North Carolina team allow most of the year. Uh, free throw shooting, I think, was a big thing for the Tar Heels. They made 23 of 27, um, only allowed NC State to shoot 16 of them. Uh, the Heels ended up finishing 47% from the field for the game, uh, 38% from the field. But NC State finished 47% from the field. And at one point, that was up almost to 70, I believe, in the first half. Um, so things did kind of level off in the second half. NC State uh, really struggled to, to get going from the field. I believe they were um, – I believe they only made six field goals in the second half. But just a, a, another grinded-out effort by this Tar Heels team. Sherelle, I'm going to come to you first. Tar Heels win the game. Uh, I think there's plenty, you know, plenty of, of things to be good about. It's their fourth straight win now after dropping uh, three out of five at one point. Um, but I think there may still be some some stuff here that may feel like a bee in a bonnet uh, for for old school Carolina fans. I want to come to you and see how do you feel uh, about North Carolina coming out of that victory on Saturday? Yeah, the first thing is it's the time of year where I, it doesn't really matter what it looks like the time for improving and changing and all that stuff is mostly over. There, there can be, I guess, some incremental change from teams, but at this point, <clears throat> the, the wonderful saying, excuse me, <clears throat> you kind of are what you are. And I think North Carolina has shown that it does have a propensity to, uh, I don't want to say play down to the level of his competition, but there's certainly times throughout the game where, where it does do that. Maybe not for the full 40 minutes, but, there are certain times where Hubert Davis has said it over and over, their attention and focus and detail and all those things are, are lacking. I don't think it's a uh, what we talked about the first his first two years, an energy, effort, or toughness issue. It's more of a focus issue and um, maybe to some degree uh, kind of a, a I don't want to say mental toughness, but, but close to that. Because as we've said on here over and over, it, it's very, very easy to get pumped up after a dunk. 
it's very hard to fight through a screen or, you know, have the right angle over and over and over again. That's what mental toughness is. And I, I think at times that has been kind of iffy, but then they, they usually kind of jerk it back to the other side and, and, and are able to, um, you know, be tough and, and close out some of these games, even though it doesn't look pretty. So I think my overall theme would just be like they're winning. I know it doesn't look great. I know there are, are some glaring red flags, but you know, at this point of the year, it's all about whether you win or not. Sean, I want to ask you a, a similar question about the game, but um, I think one of the biggest things that that jumped off the film was Hubert Davis's adjustment at halftime on DJ Horn, uh, in a sense that they stopped uh, they stopped focusing on the big out of the high pick and roll and started putting more of their emphasis on the guard, which I think held Horn to four points in the second half. Was that adjustment the difference of the game, or was this just, uh, I guess, more of a scenario where North Carolina has a more talented team, NC State really doesn't have anything to play for, and water crown is level? Maybe probably meet, meet in the middle. I think you, you knew they were going to have to adjust uh, going into that, uh, going into the second half, especially given given how they, they ended the first half. Um, so I think on the guards was, was a big focus point. Also rotations, uh, they, they definitely looked a little little slow and, and out of place, which was allowing NC State to get pretty comfortable and, and confident in the first half. So I think, one, making those adjustments early on defensively. Um, you know, two, I, I thought offensively, when they got it up to 36-30, that that could have been a, a turning point where hey they're gonna they're gonna blow them out obviously it went the went the other way but then to get down 10 early and then by you know really uh the first time out so four minutes you're you're pretty much tied tied back up and then halfway through you're up you're up 10 so really a, a 18 20 point swing in that quick a time so i think also was the, the offense starting to starting to execute and I'll know we'll talk about Elliot Cadeau, but as these games get down into crunch time and especially in March where it's lose and go home, you're gonna have to take him out at times just for rest and, and maybe fouls in some defensive situations, but you need him in there to get the get the ball running and you know, I'm no matter what, I'm always a big believer that a good offense beats a good defense and, and UNC can't go long scoring, you know, long stretches without, without scoring the ball. And he's really the key to, you know, pushing the tempo and, and getting, th- getting things done. Sean, what you said is one of the reasons I'm frightened of Kentucky. If, if I was anyone in the country, like you don't know if you're going to get, you know, JV Perno sweat Kentucky, or you're going to get like Cleveland Cavaliers, Kentucky. You just never <laughs> know. Um, but that's to your point about offense beating defense. And like, they're, I think the best off- offensive team in the country have by, by far the most talent. Um, but to that point, you, you were talking about um, state and kind of regression and stuff. They're not a good shooting team, which is the irony of, of the whole thing. Um, entering the game, they were 14th in conference play in an effective field goal percentage, and they were 12th in conference play in two-point percentage from the field. So they're, they're not a good shooting team, and they have shown that over and over. And so I think the discussion has to be, it's not, I, I think we've gotten to a point where it's like, oh, they just hit tough shots. Oh, they just hit tough shots. Yeah, Syracuse hit tough shots, but then we said the same thing after Clemson, and we said the same thing after another game. After six, seven, eight games, if guys are hitting tough shots, maybe the shots just aren't that tough, um, or maybe you need to do something to to um, change your philosophy. I, and I don't, I don't think it's a philosophy issue with Hubert Davis. I do think it's a 
um, what we talked about earlier, those details and everything. But just curious what y'all think about that, because it, it seems like we're saying the same thing, like, oh, it is hit tough shots, but it's becoming a trend. Like, it's not it's not just that other people see the Carolina uniform and, and go, you know, thermonuclear or anything. I don't think at least. I feel, I feel that's how over the years it has traditionally been. And, and it was probably that, you know, six to eight game stretch at the beginning of the ACC where it, where it flipped and all of a sudden UNC was, was locking, locking people down. And, and now it's back. I don't want to say the norm, but um, you know, their defense is still playing well and, and better than, than most people expected. But I think whether it's the guards or just not as, you know, not as crisp um, in terms of execution, it, it's gotten where where teams can, I think, if they're moving the ball uh, quickly, uh, UNC and, and utilizing the pick and roll effectively, they can get UNC out of position and get, get good looks and once again, get get confidence from that. Yeah, I, I, last thing, Joey, now as you go, I, I, had, I watched the Pittsburgh game um, this morning from, I think it was January 6th or January 7th or something. And I don't know. I was in my mind. I'm like, oh man, they played great defense that game. There's just dudes missing wide open threes. Like Blake Henson had a wide open three go in and out. Uh, one of the Frederico, I think. Uh, apologies if I'm missing up their name. One of the brothers had a three that just went down. Uh, Carrington had at least two threes where there was nobody within seven or eight feet of him, um, and he missed. So I do think it is some regression, and that we can look back now at that team game stretch and say, yeah, they were playing good defense, but also teams were just missing a lot of like wide open shots. What's crazy is North Carolina is still um, 26 in adjusted offense, uh, adjusted offensive efficiency, and they're sixth in defensive efficiency, which blows my mind. I mean, it's, I did not expect this team to be that good uh, defensively from, from the metrics. And to your point, Sherelle, yeah, against NC State, I don't feel like it was, I don't feel like they were all, um, I don't feel like they were all really well guarded shots. I think NC State was uh, was doing a really good job of of getting their guys open. I think there were two times that I remember that they got offensive rebounds that turned into three point buckets for their perimeter shooters, and that's that's six points when you're talking about an eight point halftime deficit. That matters, um, and so it, it is weird that North Carolina still looks this good on paper, but to your point, Sherell, what we're seeing right now with our eyes um, and how they've they've played around the perimeter. Uh, over the stretch of an entire game is doesn't seem as, as as good as maybe what's in our head. But who knows? Maybe all these games are, you know, kind of more regression to the mean, like <laughs> maybe the pit game was the, the aberration, you know? Um, At, something what, that, go ahead, Sean. You know, there was less overall possessions in this NC State game versus, versus Clemson, but being down seven points didn't – you don't want to be down seven points at home, but – versus double figures. Um, once again, they they cut it, got it back to even in, in four minutes. So it wasn't like Clemson or even go back uh, three years to the, the Pittsburgh game that everybody thought they had to win and you're down big. And it just takes so much energy to even get close to, to tying it. And then when you do, you kind of lose, lose sales. So uh, even though there was less possessions, you never, re- at, the, at the time, you never really felt, hey, this is getting away because it, it still felt fairly loose in terms of how both teams were playing versus maybe a Clemson or a UVA that will, will just work clock and box out if, if they are getting rebounds and it. Every possession just becomes a little more, more painful. So once again, I think 
that's the level of play that NC State was at. So it wasn't a surprise that they were able to cut it, cut it pretty, pretty quickly. And I think NC State would have loved to have run with North Carolina. I mean, for the most part, they were okay with an up and down, uh, with an up and down tempo, but they just weren't able to convert in the second half. And I think part of that was adjustments, but it also, um, maybe there is something to that. Uh, maybe there is something to that uh, visitors' uh, rim that you know North Carolina shoots on first. Uh, who knows? Because I feel like there was another game this year where it was the exact same. Um, two players I want to talk about in particular. Sean, you mentioned Elliot Cadeau a second ago. Uh, we'll go ahead and start there. Uh, his stat line was absolutely gaudy for a freshman point guard. And, you know, no, he's not putting up, um, you know, Dillingham-type numbers and, you know, stupid stuff like that. But the efficiency is what I'm looking at. 15 points on five for seven field goal shooting. One for one from three, which the one that he took was almost like a, Okay, you're gonna dare me. I'm gonna I'm gonna jar it. Missed only one free throw because his free throws have been consistently getting better over the last three months. Four rebounds, seven assists, and only two turnovers. And the big one, the big one to me is he only had one personal foul in a game where the referees have shown it doesn't matter what they call the how they call the game in the first half. We're gonna blow our whistles in the second half so that everybody gets to see us and we get to you know make sure our striped jerseys are on TV. Um, that one foul, I don't know if it was because he was playing better defense or if he's just learned when and where he can grab. All that to say, just a really great performance from Cadeau. This team is so much more efficient when he's in the game, and, and he's starting to show just some emotion, which uh, is so fun to see out of a, a freshman point guard at North Carolina. Uh, Sean, is this more of what you expected from Elliot Cadeau, or did you think it would be even uh, even less of, of this sort of stat line. Well, I think the, the 15 points is, is definitely nice. Uh, to me, it was the, the seven assists as, as well, but I, I think he, once again, from a quickness perspective, it's hard for anybody to stay in front of him one-on-one. Uh, I think when a game where, where RJ was, was struggling to get open looks, which, uh, you know, we've seen it obviously not in Miami, but two of the past, past three with, with UVA, um, teams are going to continue to key on him and it's going to be important for Cadeau to step up. I love the three pointer that he hit. He, you know, kind of had it in, in rhythm and it, it looked good when he did shoot it. Um, but to me, one of my favorite plays was when he caught it on the the left wing, uh, kind of jab left and, and just accelerated to the right side. Cause he did have a mismatch and blew by blew by the defender um, and got a layup. And then you could see him uh, kind of posturing a little bit afterwards. So, I think for him, it's going to continue to be aggressive, continue to pick your spots. Um, you know, he has that that first step that nobody nobody else does. Uh, so once again, that when when they got it back and they're kind of hovering, um, I really wanted him back in the game because I knew this is the time the offense needs to push it and they need to build a lead versus uh, trying to focus on on defense. And once again, just with how he's able to push the ball, uh, that, that pass he had to Ingram in the first half that got up to the 36-30 was, was beautiful. I probably thought there'd be a little more of those just in general, but uh, you know, even if they can get one or two of those easy easy baskets per game. So this was, a, I think, his best game from an offensive efficiency rating. It was it was tied for first, but number one in, I'd say, big, big games or uh, power five teams. So is he going to be able to do that every game? No, once again, we'll see Notre Dame, good defensive team, um, and how Duke will play him. But once again, I think from a confidence standpoint, it is big getting into into March, knowing what he can do, especially if RJ or others aren't at you know playing at an A A plus level. 
I get the feeling there's going to be a game sometime in the next uh, the next few weeks before the season is over where he goes off for about 20 or 25 um, just because he's going to start spamming that um, that drive to the basket and that other teams are going to continue to sag off. And, you know, he's again, he's proven if he wants to get you, he can get you. Full stop. Shrell, you covered Elliot Cadu's recruitment really, really deeply. You were able to see all of this. Now that we're sitting here in March, you, know, you better than anybody else knows um, kind of the level of expectation that a point guard at North Carolina comes in with. You understand how, I guess, how mercurial that spot can be for a guy. Now that we've seen, you know, say 75, 80% of the season with Elliot Cadu at the helm, how do you rate that? Is he kind of met your expectations? Uh, has he exceeded them? Or has it still kind of, do you still think it's, it's it's a TBD with this last quarter of the season remaining? Yeah, I'll say a TBD uh, only because I think at, at the beginning, his season has definitely ebbed and flowed. I mean, there were moments earlier in the season, you take Tennessee, for example, where you were like, you thought, okay, the, you know, this the train is leaving, you know, get on, get on board now while you still can. But then, there were some not so stellar games in between there, you know, during that stretch for uh, January where they won those 10 games, you know, if you go back and look at it, he wasn't particularly great um, really during all of January. And then you could slowly start to see things turn around. I, and the reason I, I'll say TBD is because he hasn't quite met them, but he's gotten better pretty much since that time, especially on the defensive end. I think if you go back and look at his defensive performance, say in December and January, it's going to look a lot different from some of the tape he's put out in the last two weeks. Um, just much better, moving moving his feet better, um, doing a better job of staying in front, and like you said, Joey, now doing a better job of not fouling. Uh, before, yeah, he was good for three, four fouls per game, and he was often sitting and in foul trouble, and that sets off a chain reaction because what happens is R.J. Davis has to go on the ball. R.J. Davis is by far, obviously, your best scorer, so when he is not freed up to be a scorer, that hurts everything. And then he has to expend more energy um, to, you know, kind of get everybody in the right place. And it just, it's a, it's a spiral effect for the entire offense and defense. So now that he's able to stay in games and um, not have much foul trouble, I think it's helped RJ Davis a ton. And the goal, I think, and the reason that we've all said that Cadeau is the X factor is because he's the only one on the team who can take other players on the team and make what they already do good better that he's the one person who can like take everybody else to the next level that's why he's so important um and i think we're seeing it and, and i'll give it a tbd just because like i like you said i still think there's like a Cadeau game coming i don't know when it's going to be but i think there's like a you know 18.8 assists one turnover four rebounds two steals type game coming he's got it in him um yep. he's been close so I, i'll say tbd the uh, other thing i, I did wanted to note on him Look at his free throws since the Florida State game. He's 23 of 29 over the last, I think, it's seven games. Um, so another area of improvement. At the beginning of the season, I think he was you know, in, in the 50s. Um, his season average now is still in the 60s, but the last you know, seven games, like I said, 23 of 29. Um, so he's made a lot of progress there, too. So you're well, seeing that you're also. Seeing that's also the difference of like three or four points a game, right? And that's where when you get to games where maybe your offense is either tired or uh, slagging, you know, uh, dragging out, and you're not able to get the efficiency that you're looking for. Three or four points matters. Um, and when you're talking about a guy who hasn't shot particularly well from the perimeter, seeing the ball go in the net matters. 
Um, somebody else that had an amazing game on Saturday, and it didn't feel like it. And this takes me back to I've, I've used the George Lynch comp on here before. But Harrison Ingram reminds me a lot of George Lynch, especially in a game like the one against NC State, because he absolutely dominated the stat line and you didn't feel like it. Um, you know, if you look at his rebound total, he had six boards for the game, but I feel like they were really timely. Made all of his free throws, which he has not done a lot this year. Uh, two of five from behind the arc, eight of 14 from the field, 22 points, um, and no turnovers. And I just I, I look at that kind of stat for a guy that's never played um, in these sorts of rivalry games. Uh, and, you know, it's it, he made the comment after the game. You know, he doesn't understand why they hate him. I it, that's maybe that that's what helps. But um, just seeing him be able to to plug into a rivalry and do the things that he uh, that he wanted to do. Just I feel like we saw a different level from Harrison Ingram against NC State. Cheryl, what was your takeaway from seeing uh, Ingram not only Show a little spring that we hadn't seen before, but just ha- had a little bit of a little little bit of want to, and 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 maybe maybe he was up for the the sniping that was going on yesterday between between both squads. I always it, it's amazing to me. I you can tell when a guy has struggled from you know the field, especially in shooting. You can tell when they took an extra day or some extra time and just put up a whole bunch of shots because it's like we use the training camp analogy during the bye week, like you get back to fundamentals. But I think that's really what he did because if you look at his shot from a couple of games ago and you look at it, the ones from Saturday, they were much more in rhythm. They were calmer. Uh, they were more relaxed. They didn't seem rushed. Um, it just seemed like he was comfortable taking them. And I think that is, that's muscle memory. That's all the work in the gym that you're seeing come to fruition. Uh, yeah. So I, that is amazing to me. So I think that's part of the reason he was probably up for the game. He probably had a feeling that he was going to play well because he probably it seems like he put in a lot of extra work. I think maybe he talked about it a little bit in the post game, uh, so I, that's definitely part of it. And then, um, yeah, they you know state does hate Carolina like that is pretty obvious, and I think uh, he it's been passed on to him. He I, I bet I wouldn't be surprised if Ro Williams talked to the team. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. They might not want that out, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. And Hebert Davis conveyed the message of like, hey, you know, these these guys, you need to beat them. Yes, you need to do what you always do and prepare for every game the same. But this one's this one's a little different. And the Smith Center feels a little different. It's sold out. It's on a Saturday afternoon. And this season, in, in those type of games, Ingram has really played well. If you go back and look, you know, the Duke game, some of the higher profile matchups, he's really been engaged. The Tennessee game came out, hit three threes, three or four threes in the first half. So it's kind of his thing, I think, as the moment gets bigger, so does he. And he didn't have a lot of those opportunities when he was out in Palo Alto. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not, that's not me besmirching the, the Stanford program or, or what was the Pac-12. Just they hadn't had that that sort of marquee opportunity uh, that he's had since he's been in Chapel Hill. Sean, I want to ask you to speak specifically about when you have a player as versatile as Ingram is, where he's able to guard uh, a three or a four or even a five, depending on who that five man is, how much better does that make North Carolina as far as their ability to take their opponent out of what that opponent wants to do offensively? Well, I think you, you go back a few years and it was always the the four that seemed to be, I don't want to call it the weakness, but that seemed to be where UNC could struggle in terms of playing the the traditional two big set. And I think having having a guy that can be that, hybrid, whether it's the four, three, three, four, but even 
even slot up a little bit in in certain situations, I think it just makes a world of difference because it it doesn't allow matchup problems on the defensive end, but at the same time, you see what he's able to do on the offensive end when he does get some of those mismatches or when he when he is able to free himself for for a shot. So I think his versatility is huge as Sherelle was saying, you know, he's come to play in, in big games. And even when he has struggled, he's come up with timely um, rebound, steal, hit, you know, big shot. But he's he's going to be not the key, but certainly one of the keys in terms of how far do they go in March. Um, you know, I, I think you can, with him and Cormac Ryan, when, when they let it go from three, you can usually tell what's going to happen as soon, as soon as they're in the air in terms of uh, for Ingram, you know, was it was it rushed or did he did he get his get his base set for for Ryan? Um, you know, did he just take a little bit longer? Did he get good elevation? So the, those two guys are really going to be the keys in terms of of everything. But I think for Ingram, I love watching all those replays. He has the biggest smile on his face, pretty much. You know, every every time, which is fun fun to watch. But you also know that, uh, especially Diara, because uh, I remember it from the first game. Those guys were talking a ton, and I think he also enjoys that aspect of it as well. So, you know, that was probably kind of the perfect perfect game for him playing at home, but also uh, getting getting a lot from from both sides. So, once again, I think if he can be not expecting them to shoot like that every game, but if if he can, I think he needs to be in that thirteen to seventeen point range at a minimum, at a good efficiency for UNC to reach what we're hoping they can they can reach sitting here thinking about um, both of the players that we've spent some time on tonight. Um, that Ingram play where or that, that Cadeau play where Ingram and, and Cormac both like rushed up to him after he hit that crazy layup. Uh, just the, the looks on their faces to your point, Sean was, was really, really, really fun to see because that was three kids who were absolutely just losing themselves in the game, uh, really enjoying being a part of, of winning and, and being a part of each other's success. And that's something Hubert Davis has talked about a lot. Um, y'all, I'm gonna ask you to forgive me. I'm I'm still struggling with my voice. I feel a lot better. Uh, turned out that it was I had COVID 26 this past week, but um, yeah, that's what's got me sounding like Lou Rawls. But I I do feel a little bit better. Appreciate you guys uh being patient with the with the voice. Quickly before we take a break, I do want to take a a quick look at at Notre Dame coming to town for senior night. Uh, this is a team that I, I know they have been down all year, um, but Notre Dame has absolutely found something these last couple of weeks. And I think that Micah Shrewsbury is a good coach. Uh, I think that there's a chance they could, um, they could end up being better than, uh, than maybe their, their record shows. Uh, but you know, they, they beat Wake Forest and that's a Wake Forest team that two weeks ago, everybody felt like could play their way into the tournament. Um, they, they beat Clemson um, yesterday. So, I mean, it's, this is a team that for, for whatever reason and, and however they found it, um, they're starting to, to figure some things out. I do realize that it, it is at home and it is senior night and all that stuff, but this Notre Dame team that has won, uh, as I'm looking at it, one, two, three, four, five, this is great radio. Uh, five, five or six. Five out of the, five, yeah, five out of the last six. And that's, um, that's nothing to, to, to kind of nod your head about. So uh, I, I would also point out that maybe, you know, a team like that coming in playing free with uh with with Burton, you know, having a chance to get the ball in his hands, not exactly something to overlook. Uh, Sean, why am I overthinking things here? Well, I just love the fact that uh, Calvin Booth's son is on is on this 
on this team. Um, Man, y'all are, y'all are old. <laughs> you mean Nate Lashewski and JJ Starling and Dane Goodwin are all gone? Are they really all gone for real this time? Are we sure? I mean, that's, I, I that's the other crazy. Because I think you get so used to who has been at at Notre Dame. Coach Bray had, you know, kind of a certain type of player and, and some talented teams. Obviously, it fell off uh, last year. But I mean, I, I think you can look just from an overseas perspective, and the Notre Dame guys always always do well if they're not in the in the NBA. So I think obviously this was a complete uh, readjustment. The team is is pretty young. They're starting to figure it out. They're one of the teams that has hurt the ACC in terms of some bad uh, early season losses, a pretty poor ranking. So anytime they are getting wins, it, it's a bad, you know, a bad loss for for the opposing teams. But they are playing well. They're young, with a lot of freshmen and, and sophomores. And I think this is a team that's going to be. They're going to try to play play it slow, grind it, grind it out, uh, keep it close, and and hope to hope to steal something. So I think this is a game, obviously senior night, um, but. I think UNC it can't be they can't get beat by Duke again before and after the game like they did like they did last time and I think trying to take care of business early um, play you know look look for Armando down low this is the type of team that he should have success with if he can be aggressive on the boards and uh, I think if they are if they're crisp both offensively and defensively we shouldn't have to worry about it but we have said that we said that going into the Georgia Tech and, and other games so this is a game. They need to focus on it's at home, um, but Notre Dame with their their young, you know, young players, I think will be will be good. We'll be back to what they were in no time. But hopefully this this time Carolina can take business early and and uh, you know then we can focus on Duke after afterwards. Sherelle, I did confirm that Luke Heron Gody is not walking out of that tunnel uh, on Tuesday night for for the Irish. Uh, any thoughts that you might have, Sherelle? Again, I I'm a I'm a Shrewsbury fan. I, I think he could do. Uh, he could do some things there if he gets the time to do it. Uh, just, you know, maybe not start Tuesday night. Yeah, I think for North Carolina, it it really is just all about their defense. Like it always is almost. Um, just another segment called reading. Conference only numbers. Notre Dame is last in offensive efficiency. They are last in effective field goal percentage. They're last in turnover percentage. They're last in block percentage. They're 14th in two-point percentage. They're 11th in three-point percentage, and they don't get to the free throw line a lot. So, but, but what are they number know, two in? Yeah, but they're number two behind North Carolina in conference-only defensive efficiency. So it's just like a situation where they can't let Notre Dame get comfortable. They have to be kind of on 100 from the start, so to speak. Uh, you know, all all gas, no breaks, like Hubert Davis likes to say, on the defensive end. And if they do that then it, everything else should take care of itself um, because Notre Dame is not a team who's going to, they shouldn't be a team who comes out and hits eight of 12 from three in the first half, like the last two opponents have. Um, but Carolina has to be a part of that because they are college players. And if you let them get comfortable, especially Burton, then yeah, that could happen. Um, but I, I think as long as they um, are, have attention to detail on the defensive end then everything else will take care of itself. And I agree with Sean, this, this is kind of one of those uh, Armando Baycott games where, you wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with, you know, 23 and 11 or 23 and 12, something like that. You know, just looking at the Ken Palm numbers around a 16 point point spread. Um, so you, you would hope, but um, you know, once again, crazy, crazier things have, have happened, but I think it, it is, you know, Notre Dame probably had one of the best 
ACC weeks this past week. I know both games were at home, but beating both Wake and and Clemson back to back, that that would have to put them probably in, in a top five for just individual weeks that that teams have teams have had. So you don't for want sure. to uh, you don't want to look past anybody, as we said, one game at a time with this team, and they've done. Uh, you know, look. I know there's games that we wish they could get back, but at the end of the day, they have three losses, which if we went back to our preseason predictions, uh, you know, I, I don't think I, I had that was probably expecting a little bit more. And you can go back to 2019 had, had two losses, but the, the 2017 and 2016 teams had, had four. I think we can argue about the merits of the ACC, but it's still been a heck of a season because for the most part, they have been able to go one game, one game at a time. And How this is the chance. I was just going to say it's a chance for the team to show growth too, Joey. Like, you know, they, they beat Duke on it. So they lose to Georgia Tech on a Tuesday. They come back, they beat Duke in an emotional game. They come out, you know, as flat as you can possibly be against Clemson, lose that game. They rebound, they go to Miami, they win a tough game there. They come out, I don't want to say flat, but just not as enthusiastic defensively and lose to Syracuse. So this is the same situation where you beat your rival um, in an emotional game. Now can you show the, the maturity and growth from last month and show that you learned from those mistakes and come out to beat a team that you're more talented than and that you should beat at home. Yeah, I think the the thing that kind of gets me is you you go back and look at um you go back and look and like Sean said this past week, you know, Notre Dame just beat two teams that were flirting with the double bye, right? You know, and now we're you know sitting here discussing it. North Carolina's clinched at least a double bye and at least second um second place in the in the league uh if they win against Notre Dame. Uh they have clinched a double bye, but they'll clinch at least a at least second um, for the ACC regular season standings. Um, guys, the uh, the only other thing I could think of uh, before Tuesday night is just reminding folks, if you're planning on being in the game, show up early. Remember, this is not um, the old Roy Williams-type senior day where he allows the uh, the seniors to speak afterwards. I think they do most of the honoring before the game. That's Hubert Davis's choice. So if you're going to be there, uh, it's a Tuesday night. Go ahead and get your get your butts in your seats if you're going to go. Um, I just hate for anybody who's listened to the show to miss out on what they expect to see. And, you know, we all know that traffic can also be, uh, can be booty on, on a, on a weekday night going into the Smith center. Um, one of the things that I think was, was rather impressive about North Carolina's win against NC state was they, they were consistent in the second half at not letting NC state get what they wanted offensively. What I would have loved to have seen was if North Carolina would have stretched the lead out and allow NC State to go ahead and go to Johnny T-shirt and get some gear, right? If they would have ended the game a little earlier and put it out of reach, NC State could have gotten up to Franklin Street uh, and then gotten back and been able to get their pick of UNC gear. You know, we talked about the baseball digs um, that are officially available at Johnny T-shirt. I am not a fan of the uh, March team bench shirts that the teams wear once tournament starts. I think those are uh, trash basura for our spanish friends um and not to, not to say anything negative about johnny t-shirt but johnny t-shirt has those right that's just my opinion you, i don't like them but you may like them and and whether you like things you know potato patata uh johnny t-shirt's gonna be able to help you out so go ahead and go to johnny t-shirt uh see them get what you need they will have these shirts in stock soon if they don't have them already forgive me for not checking for the show uh but they'll take care of you uh, and just like anything else, they have the very best selection 
the very best prices and the very best customer service that you're going to find. A locally owned, alumni operated, right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Go see them. Johnny T-shirt, we appreciate them. Let the national guys drop their ads in here. We'll come back for the second half of the show. Talk with some other stuff um, that might be of interest to our, our, our viewers and listeners here. You're listening to and or watching the Coast to Coast podcast here on InSouthCarolina.com. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate everybody who's, uh, who's been in the chat. And, and I want to give a, a big point to the pastor, to uh, Mr. McMillan, for checking and confirming that Johnny T-Shirt does have uh, the blank, blank energy shirts that are now available, uh, the March official team T-Shirts that Nike puts out. Uh, so go pick yours up if you are so inclined. Guys, something I want to share. Um, is that uh, as of this year, I'm a voter for the uh, U.S. Basketball Writers Association. And you're like, hey, Joey, you're not a writer. And I say, nay, nay, you don't have to be a writer. You can just be a member of the, uh, of the media to do so. And um, luckily, as host of this show here on Inside Carolina, not only do I get to hang out with you fine folks, but I get to vote for, uh, for the USBWA. So what I thought I would do tonight is share um, my votes for their uh, three All-American teams. And I want to couch this. I figure this would probably be a pretty good discussion for uh, folks in the in the live chat to tell me how terrible my selections were. You guys can tell me how terrible my selections were. Uh, but I do want to couch this and give it some context first. Um, the, way the, uh, the way the teams are asked or the way they send the ballots to you are, they say, hey, select 15. You know, over the course of the year, they'll release, like, these are our, you know, last 40 or so nominees or 25 or whoever it is nominees for our U.S. Basketball Writers Association, USBWA, All-American squad. So they sent the ballots out last week um, and I did complete mine. So what I'll do is, again, you don't vote for which team you put them on. You just select 15 um, regardless of position. And they do say you have to pick at least one of them. So I'm going to give you guys my list. They're alphabetical. So bear with me um, and, and I'll allow you guys to shoot holes in it or tell me it's bad or whatever. Um, and I'm just going to read them off. Johnny Broom from Auburn, R.J. Davis from North Carolina, Hunter Dickinson of Kansas, Zach Eady from Purdue, Al Filipowski from Duke, if no other reason the fact that he came back from the dead in just a week and was able to perform in two games last week. you got to admire, that's all-American type uh, comeback material. Dalton Connect from Tennessee, Tyler Kulik from Marquette, Jaden Ledee from San Diego State, which not a lot of people have heard about. I've seen him twice this year. I think he's a real deal. I think he would be a good player in any um, you know high major conference. Caleb Love, uh, Tristan Newton from UConn, Antonio Reeves at Kentucky, Hunter Salas, Baylor Shireman, Mark Sears, and Jamal Shedd. So I want to throw those out there. And guys, um, there's a couple I'll share with you that that I was struggling with that whether to leave on or leave off. I didn't put Armando Baycott on it. That hurts my heart. Um but I do think, you know, he's, I don't know that he's had one of the top uh, 15 years in the league. I think he's been great for this North Carolina team. But statistically, which is usually what you're looking at, um, I don't think he's there. 
I think Salas probably makes me feel worse about that, and I'm trying not to live in the moment uh, based on how things went uh, for them against Notre Dame this week. Um, but having seen that, uh, having seen what he's put together the whole year, I, I like his game. A lot of the other ones I think are fairly easy. It pained me to put Baylor Shireman on there, and that's some that's some old scar tissue from from Creighton uh, a Creighton game 13 years ago. Uh, but I think a lot of the other ones are, are pretty easy uh, as far as you know. Yeah, they're a top 15 player. Um, I struggled with not including LJ Cryer uh, from from Houston. I think um, I think that uh, I think he's a strong player. I think he's he's probably one of the better defensive players in the year, in my opinion. Um, and, and you know, Janelle Davis from Florida Atlantic. I, I don't know that he's had the season that he had last year, but anyway, that's my fifteen guys. Who did I, who who did I leave off? Who who do I omit? Who who's scratching your head? I'm already seeing some folks in the chat uh, in the chat giving me some some grief. So. Love it. Love the engagement. Sherelle, I'll go to you first. What did I butcher? I think Darren Holmes from, from Dayton probably merits consideration. I, I mean, the thing with all these lists is that I'm not going to rip it get on anybody for like putting somebody on there who they think should be on there as long as the position is defensible. I think uh, with ACC Player of the Year voting and all that stuff coming up, you know, there's going to be a random person who wants attention who vote some random person but as long as you're as long as you can defend it and say this is what i was thinking this is why i was thinking it then i, I have no issue with it um i probably would have had Kalkbrenner probably on there too from from creighton um it's crazy as it sounds i, I know people are going to get on me i actually kind of like watching creighton like they're a fun team like they have three players i really really enjoy in alexander uh uh Shireman and Kalkbrenner. <clears throat> excuse me so i i kind of like Creighton. I'm sorry, forgive me. Paul um, Brenner was not yeah. an option, by the way. Really? That's Paul surprising. Was, he was not an option on the list. Yeah, but other than that, I I mean, I, no issue. I, I think um, I'm really curious how, if you would have done it, like, his first, second, third team, how you would have done it. Maybe that's a question we can throw back at you after Sean gives his thoughts. Like, if you had to make a first team right now, what would it be based upon the 15 that you picked? That's fair. I think I could do that. Sean, give me your uh, your feedback, man. What? Who did I miss? What did I butcher? Uh, if you had the same vote, who would you have swapped out? I thought I thought it was uh, pretty pretty good overall, especially going through through fifteen um, and having to go coast to coast to coast um, with the list, getting some West Coast lo- love what you did out there. there. Uh, you know, Jaden Ladie once again he he played great last year in the tournament and has had a strong season and. You look at, you know, the guy, he's 24 years old. And I remember this is going back, uh, you know, eight, eight, nine years where he was at the USA basketball camps. He was one of the top rising, you know, top, top freshmen, top rising sophomores in the, in the country. And, you know, just kind of a case of a kid being probably ranked too high more from his physicality versus his skill set. And, uh, but at the end of the day, luckily was able to find, a, a program where he where he fit and and was able to excel um towards the back end so just nice to see that story so so many times you see kids that are highly ranked just completely fall off the map in those those situations um but you know i don't know not real great content but i wouldn't i wouldn't uh kind of bring up you know many many other players but i, I think it would go to who who you know if you had to put your your first team who would it be who would it be right now out of curiosity? Yeah. Well, and, and so also I want to, I want to point out, I, I left Terrence Shannon off the list too, because 
Um, anyway, uh, Terrence Shannon, not on my list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> read between the lines there. Uh, I think if I had to put five, um, I'd probably go, and, and I hate, you know, I would love to see R.J. Davis get play. I, I think you can make a case for R.J. Davis for player of the year because he's um, he's not the focus of the offense that Zach Eady is. He's also six foot nothing, a hundred nothing uh, doing this against uh, what I think is a better league. I think the ACC is is better than the, the Big Ten is this year. Um, but I, my, my first team All-Americans, I would say uh, Dalton Connect, Tyler, uh, Tyler Kulik, Zach Eady, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Those would probably be my, my first five. Um, and I realize I'm leaving a couple of guys that are that are amazing scores and stuff off of there. Uh, but that if if you're telling me right now I got to give you a first five, that's probably my first five is the um the w- one guy maybe not not first team, but did did you have Mark Sears from Alabama? Yes, I did not have him first team, okay. but he was on my fifteen. All right, he was the one one guy that I didn't think I think I hear, heard, but um with what he's been doing lately, and just on a side note, I mean even watching that the there's a lot of good basketball yesterday, but the Alabama yeah, there was. Tennessee game, you look at all those top players and they all are up transfers that came from uh, mid, mid, low, low major to mid major schools in the last, last two years. And those are the best guys in the, in some of the top sec teams. So like, man, Dalton connect, like that conference and his team last year. So, 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 so bad, like awful. They, they were one of the worst teams in one of the worst conferences. And, it, that's just one thing with the portal you just you can't really adjust for you know there could be a player who comes from a low major comes to a school like carolina and it just doesn't work out or there can be a player like don connect who comes from a low major goes to tennessee and just sets the world on fire it's it's i don't think there's a science to it you don't really know until they get there um and honestly when you know north carolina called connect once or twice and it kind of became apparent that it wasn't going to happen but when me and ben started like Ben Sherman, editor-in-chief of Inside Carolina, for those who don't know. But when we started like looking through, you know, all his data, Sean too, all his data in Kimpom and, and Bartorvik and looking at game film, it was like, yeah, but this is the, you know, the big sky. Can this really translate into the SEC or the ACC or the Big 12? And you don't know in, until it happens. So I, as, you know, the portal starts to, you know, I, I guess we'll talk about it at some point, but with that opening in a couple of weeks, just just keep an open mind. I don't mean... To be redundant, but the arguably the best player on the country's best team is a transfer from East Carolina. Like, think about that. <laughs> so just you know, when when different guys are are getting attention from different schools, try to have an open mind. Just because to Sean's point, Cam Spencer, where where did he come from? I don't even remember. That's loyal, like, Amer- loyal, loyal, Amer- yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so again, I mean, like Amer- he was. He was not on anybody's radar as as a potential difference maker when he plugged into that roster. Right, right. So, I mean, Don Connect, Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, the list goes on and on of guys from that mid-major level, even low-major level, who have come and made a huge difference from teams. So that's my way to push it forward into portal talk if we, if we decide to go there. Like, just keep it up in mind. I know I said that all last year, but please just keep it up in mind. Well, um, thanks for humoring me, guys. That was a... Uh... I did think it was good, uh, you know, that being the the first time I'd had a chance to vote for one of these. Um, the other, you know, they ask they ask you to vote for uh, women too. I did that one, um, and they ask you who your you know your your rank three for player of the year. Uh, I don't mind saying, um, uh, yeah, I don't mind saying I, I did put R.J. Davis first, uh, but but Zach Eady second. 
Uh, and then they also ask you to rank uh, newcomer of the year, which I think is, a, is an interesting topic too. Um, I put Jacoby Walter for Baylor first, Reed Shepard from Kentucky second. And as, as much as it may pain some of uh, I see subscribers, I put Jared McCain third. Um, just because if you consider what he's done um, in that league this year when they needed it from him, um, he's picked up time when, when Tyrese, Tyrese Proctor has been hurt. Uh, he's been very steady. I mean, he scored 35 or whatever it was at Florida State a couple of weeks ago. Um, those are my three for, for national freshman of the year. Um, so was it was it freshman or was it newcomer? It says freshman, sorry. Oh, yeah, it's okay. national okay. freshman of the year. Um, I'm curious to see how, how organizations – uh, adapt What's, to that like are you going to start yeah adult, like newcomer of the year in the sec yeah well it's it's the it's the wayman tisdale award which should be who plays the best jazz bass but um unfortunately that's not the that's not the case there um guys do you want to make a couple of recruiting notes before we get out of here today uh sherelle i know that uh unc had a surprise visitor uh and then one not so surprise visitor at the nc state game yeah season ticket holder drake powell uh was there on saturday uh he I don't think he's going to be able to make the game Tuesday because I think they have a playoff game on Tuesday. So they're in the third round now of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association playoffs. Uh, they were played on Saturday. I think they won by like 40 or something. So weren't really challenged. I don't think they'll be challenged until they get into the regional semifinals. Uh, Farmville Central is like a state powerhouse, and there's a chance that they're going to play them. So that's something to watch. And then uh, Ian Jackson was back in the Smith Center for the first time since his official visit back in November. Uh, this is his third overall trip to UNC, so his official visit as a junior. He was at, a, I think, the Georgia Tech game where UNC won big, and then he was here um, there in the fall, and then again yesterday. Didn't know that one was coming. Got a text at, like, well, the game was at 4. Got a text at, like, 2.58. was like, hey, surprise visitor. Uh, Ian Jackson. So <laughs> I think that will help maybe um, dissuade some of the stuff that's been out there uh, for him for some time. His OTE season is over. So him and him and Drake are going to hit the uh, national, I guess, all-star game circuit. They're both in the McDonald's game. They're both in the Iverson Classic. And then I think each of them has one other one that they're playing in. Good wrap up there. Appreciate that. And as you're talking about playoffs, uh, Sean reminded me before the show that Scholastic period is ending very soon. Scholastic games are ending up relatively quickly, so it'll be uh, interesting to see. Sean, what are you looking for as as most players' Scholastic seasons winds down? Yeah, I mean, I think really just now that we're in March, one to one to two weeks weeks left. Um, so, I, you know, obviously with the guys that UNC has committed for Drake Powell, how do how do they how do they wrap 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 things up, and then just starting to but those guys kind of more start to look at their whole whole season. Um, you know, I think the March April time frame for some of the All Star games that that could also tell a lot once you get all that top talent together um, and, and seeing how they're doing. You know, reading the twenty four seven staffs of the McDonald's practices, things of that nature, because I think you can you can tell a lot from those competitions. And then, obviously, starting to get ready for uh, the transfer portal, which uh, Sherell you know, scare me with the March 18th date because that'll be coming soon. And then obviously uh, this time last year, they were pretty much set from a recruiting perspective versus versus uh, the 2025 class. So that'll be a- another thing to, to dive into for everybody as well. Yeah, if you guys didn't get a chance to read that, uh, premium subscribers probably already saw Sherelle's really good preview. Uh, and it was a kind of an all-encompassing 
this is what's going to happen and what we already know. Look at North Carolina's stance and, and how they're going to approach the, the transfer portal when it opens in two weeks. If you haven't read that, you're probably not a premium subscriber, and I'm judging you a little bit. Let's, let's just, just be real. We're amongst friends. We're going to be honest. Uh, if you're not a premium subscriber, yeah, a little bit of side eye cast your way right now. Um, fellas, before we get out of here, uh, appreciate the insight on the recruiting side of things, but now it's time to throw some pennies out there. A segment we like to call Our Two Cents, presented by Congruity. Uh, we like to call it Our Two Cents uh, because we think about money and we think about, you know, these are the last two things we're going to give you before we, we wrap the show. But if you look at it from a different angle, Congruity is going to save your smaller, medium-sized business some money by helping you optimize and become more efficient by taking care of your human resources, your benefits, and a lot of the administrative stuff that is kind of weighing you down as a, as a business owner, a, a business decision maker. If you'll go to Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels, they're going to give you a little form to fill out. It's really easy. Answer some questions. They're going to tell you how they can help save your business some money. Uh, if they can't, they'll tell you that too, right? So there's no obligation on your part. Really, all you've done is, is you've spent a very small amount of time trying to see how you might be able to save some money and make some more profits, you know, increase that top line or even increase the net for your business. Check them out. We appreciate how much they, they support our work. We want you to support them. They care about the North Carolina business community uh, and, and they will take care of you. They're good folks. We would not have them as advertisers if they weren't good folks and if they did not have a product or a service that we believed in, right? Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Get your free assessment for your small or medium-sized business. I'm sorry, Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Uh, get your small or medium-sized business assessment. Let them tell you how they can save you a little bit of money. Sean, give me your two cents presented by Congruity. Two cents. Uh, we covered we covered Notre, Notre Dame, so we'll jump ahead to the, the weekend game. Uh, last time, Seth Trimble scored in double figures. It was the game at home against Duke. Um, I, I think he's going to need another strong performance off the bench just given his athleticism, ability to create, um, or ability to create a little havoc defensively. So I think hit, you know, what he produces coming off the bench is going to be really important, especially as that bench has, has shrunk in terms of minutes played and, and when, uh, Hubert is, is providing those minutes. And then Armando Baycott probably to, you know, his, his level did not have the greatest of weeks in terms of both the Miami and then, then four of 12 yesterday against NC state. But I think some of the things we did see of continuing to get him in space and let him work a little bit, whether it's, um, you know, a drive and a spin hard, hard attack left, obviously DJ burns a little slower. So it was, it was easier, but I think continuing to get him in space uh, will be important. I think even going back to the tournament run, you know, he was getting 10 plus shots a game. He wasn't, he was great, but he wasn't dominant. So you don't need a dominant Armando, but you need him engaged, dominant on the offensive boards. And, and if he can get some, you know, like the left-handed hook where he got good elevation, wasn't taking a very contested shot like, like, that he's known been known to do lately. Um, I think, you know, he, he's going to need another big week this week. Um, if he can try to match what he did the first time against, against Duke, but definitely looking for him and how he's going to finish around the basket this, uh, this week. Thank you, sir. I will take those two pennies and use them wisely. Cheryl McMillan, your two cents. Uh, going right back to Armando Baycott. Uh, I still think a first team all ACC is kind of on the line this week. I think PJ Hall and 
uh, RJ Davis and Flip, whether you think he should be there or not, he's going to be, um, uh, are, are pretty much locks for the team. Uh, and then it's like, so who are the other guys? For a while there, it looked like it was going to be Reese Beekman. You thought he was a shoe-in, and then Virginia has struggled lately. Um, and then it looked like it was going to be Hunter Salas after that amazing performance against Duke, and he struggled a little bit recently. So the door is still open, I think, for Armando to have two big games and work his way um, back into that first team All-ACC. And then I, I would say the second thing, or just call it 2A, uh, RJ Davis watch, uh, he has 92 threes on the season. Uh, Carolina has a minimum of four games left. He's 13 away from tying Justin Jackson's single-season three-point record. You would think if North Carolina plays well, they'll play more than four games and he'll likely have a chance to to break that. I think Justin broke the previous record at the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then the last thing, as Sean said, uh, talking about Duke, um, that's going to be a tough game, man. Duke has played really, really well, I would say, basically since January 1st, just like Carolina. They only have three losses since, um, you know, this calendar year. And even in that game against Wake Forest, um, that game had, I think, 61 or 62 possessions, and they put up 79 points. So, like, their offense is really, really, really humming. And it's going to take North Carolina's probably best defensive effort of the season to go in there and win. I think they can do it. uh, But, again, they have to start with Notre Dame and not let what happened last time kind of build towards the Duke game as opposed to, like, having to have a, closed door meeting after you know a potential loss you know like they did against shorter tech so um i'm i'm really curious to see what we're talking about next sunday we could be talking about you know north carolina has restored order they've swept duke you know they're finished the season with only three acc losses you know can they be a one seed if they win on thursday in the acc tournament or we could be talking about man they, they started nine and zero, and they only got a share of the conference title and in the worst case scenario, we could be talking about wow, they blew two games uh, at home, and they're the number two seed. They're dropped to a, a, a number two seed in the ACC tournament. Now they've dropped to a three seed in the, in the NCAA tournament. So like, it's just a wide range of things we could be talking about on Sunday. Um, so I'm I'm just kind of anxious to see to, to find out what's going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of line. Duke has played really well uh, offensively, especially at home. Um, you know, some of their uh, some of their really, and I think they're in the top five or six in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm right now. If you go look at it, I'm not sure where they are in Bartorovic, but um, they're up there. And, you know, judge how you want to, they shoot the ball really well. Um, I think they're averaging more threes than anybody else in the ACC per game, um, more made threes, excuse me, than anybody else in the ACC per game. And it's going to take a full team effort from North Carolina, um, you know, assuming that they. Uh, that they also will bring a, a good effort against no- Notre Dame in their in their senior night on Tuesday. Um, either way, yeah, like Cheryl said, we got a lot to talk about next week. So all of you who have uh, who have joined us live tonight, we appreciate you being a part of the show. Uh, stick around, and we'll definitely have something coming back for you next week too. But North Carolina Tuesday home against Notre Dame on senior night. So many guys eligible to be senior starters. I'm not sure how they'll play that out. Um, as soon as we find out, I will tell you that Inside Carolina will report it for you. Uh, and then at Duke at four o'clock on Saturday. Uh, so, you know, another uh, week chalk full of ACC goodness last week of the regular season. Holy cow, where did the time go? Pleasure to be here with you guys regardless. Sean Moran, thank you so much. Cheryl McMillan, I appreciate you as well. Uh, shout out to everybody who was here joining us live tonight. Uh, and for the folks who are checking us out in their podcast feed, 
Thanks for being here. Remember, rate, review us. We like that kind of stuff. We're grateful for Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity for sponsoring. To John Sigley for producing. Until next time, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Y'all take care.